Great. Yeah. Now, uh, one of the things which is important to look at when we're talking about the Tudor period is the, con the idea of the growth and the consolidation of political power in the hands of the king. Right? So you get this over here, and the climax perhaps is in the age which comes later, that is with Queen Elizabeth I. Right? Yeah, somebody wants to say something? Yeah, does somebody want to say something? Does somebody want to say something? If somebody wants to say, please say it out, right? Yeah, fine. Okay, yeah. So, uh, what is interesting is, we're talking over a period, right, which goes slowly. Uh, we have the House of Lancaster and the House of York and all this kind of thing. And then we have the Tudor period, right, which becomes marked with this idea of consolidation of power, right? Uh, so, Akshay, when we're talking about uh, the idea of state, right, we're actually talking about the idea of how did the state formation take place? And the state is still in formation, whether we talk about the middle, uh, the early Middle Ages, right, uh, before the, the period of Chaucer, that goes back to Henry II, right, and the idea is how is all these things, how are state powers being consolidated, right, yeah, yeah, and now of course you have uh, the idea of the army, the idea of consolidation of power, all those things happen very uh, largely in the Tudor period, right? Yeah. Uh, dates and periods are all are necessary to the study and discussion of history. For all historical phenomena are conditioned by time and are produced by the sequence of events, right? So we need time. We need the sequence of events. Dates, therefore, apply a necessary test to any historical statement and are apt to be found inconveniently encumbering the path and tripping up the heel of glib generalizations rushing forward with head in uh, air, there is no appeal for uh, from the wording of a date. Yeah, I think yesterday somebody talked about the individual and I support the individual and all the, I, I don't know whether it was your, your class, I think it was, right? Yeah, so what is interesting and what is important is when does the individual come in? Can you put a date on it, right? When does the state come in, right? And the state is in formation, but the state gets different kinds of powers and becomes more powerful because of different kinds of functions that it has, right? So when you talk about the state having power, we might talk about the stable, right? And the stable is a stable price, and we're talking about marketing, and the state has something to do with that, right? So that's one of the things that the state in England has to do, right? And we're talking about the idea of historical sense, right? So we have to have a date when we are talking about when did this kind of thing called the individual arrive, right? And that's important for history and for an academic point of view, right? One is to have ideas and ideas are around the place, right? But when you locate the idea and see how an event has corresponded to an idea and how the event has changed people, right? has changed uh, countries, have changed the geography, right? All those kind of things are what we call an event, right? Yeah, I'm sorry, I have not uh, put this on record, right? Yeah. I'll start recording, right? Yeah.
Yeah, so when we're talking about a, a, an event, we're talking about uh, this idea of uh, the history, the geography, all those kind of things changing because of somebody's idea, right? And that has a date, right? So that's differing from what you call a philosophical generalization or an idea, right? So when you talk about the body, okay, the physical body, right? In the 16th century, the 17th century, the 18th century, or whatever period you're talking about, the idea of how do you regard the body is very important, right? Yeah, so you have in Western discourse, you have Aesop's fables, right? And the idea of the famous fable about the body parts and how one part of the body speaks more loudly and says, I'm more important than the other, right? Yeah, and the most important thing is, so the head thinks that without me, the body can't exist. The heart says the same, the liver says the same, the lungs say the same, and all the parts of the body say, without this, the body can't exist. Right? Yeah? And this is the subscriber, right? Which is taken up again in uh, a play by Shakespeare called Coriolanus, which is talking about something called the body politic. Right? So we're taking about, we're talking about the physical body, and in another age, it's transformed into a body politic. Right? And we, okay? So what's important over here, and actually, this should be a good lesson for India, right? The asshole or the anus uh, shuts up, right? Yeah, and when that happens, all the other parts of the body actually are not able to function, right? Because the con constipation comes up, right? Yeah, and that's how they're not able to function. And then the question is, the idea of the state politics or the idea of the the uh, uh, the idea of the state itself and the body politic comes up in a big way. Right? Yeah, so when we're talking about the idea of state and the idea of the body politic, we get this idea of uh, the body politic also happening in Christianity, right? Where Christ is supposed to be uh, the head of the body, right? Yeah? And all the people are supposed to be parts of the body, right? And they have to function as a body, right? And for a body, so that the metaphor that is used, so the body as a real living thing becomes a metaphor. Okay, and it becomes a metaphor of state power, right? And it becomes a metaphor of uh, church power, right? And I'm uh, going on with all that because that's the kind of age we're talking about, right? Yeah, and the question is, there's still a tussle between church and state, right? Who owns, who, who actually rules, right? And this will be resolved only with a very violent kind of person called Henry VIII, right? Who becomes the king of who is the king of England and becomes the supreme head of the Church of England, right? So that's the culmination of this church, this uh, church and state. Of course, that's in uh, in theory, and even that's still there on the uh, on, on the, the the roll call of the queen, right? The defender of the faith and all those kind of things, right? And that happens when we have Martin Luther, right? Yeah. Okay. So the the first paragraph of this is important because what is important is dates and periods are important to the study of history, right? So when we're talking about the social history and we're talking about the political history, the dates are important, right? Because 
we are still using this idea of sociology and history, right? And we are still using the idea of a civilizational tool changing society, right? It may change society over a long period of time or it might change society uh, immediately, right? Yeah, which is rather rare, but even then a law or a rule or a, a, a kind of an object can actually change society very easily, right? And uh, sometimes those things also happen, okay? Like for instance, in a much later age, we have the age of Cromwell, right? And in the age of Cromwell, he brings this rule about Puritanism, he shuts the theatres down, he shuts the pubs down, because his kind of Puritan understanding of religion was, these are evil things and these are against the, the kind of church that uh, the Puritans established, right? So that's exactly where uh, you have the state which becomes so powerful and the consolidation of the power in the state, right? But that doesn't mean that the people don't have power, right? The people always have the power to protest. The people always have the power to say, well, let the law do what it wants and we won't do what we want, right? Yeah? So that's important, right? But unlike dates, periods are not facts, right? They are, okay, periods are not facts, that's a problem, right? Yeah, because the idea is when we're talking about a period, a lot of things happen in a period, right? So they're not facts. I don't agree with that because when we talk about a fact, a period is a state of affairs. That's the definition that's uh, a philosopher called uh, Ludwig Wittgenstein, who's a linguistic philosopher, uh, gives us, right? Yeah. So the question is, what is a period, right? There. Uh, so the historian might look at it from one point of view, right? And you might have the period uh, which is from Chaucer to uh, Queen Elizabeth, right? Yeah. So that's the period that we're talking about. And this is a huge kind of a period, right? Now the question is, what happened in the period? A lot of things happen, right? Some of it which goes unnoticed, right? And it's only a historian which takes it up maybe after 500 years or 600 years also might go back and look at the period. This is a general idea of the period, but these things are missing, right? Like for instance, I have a book which is called Clean and Decent, right? And it's an interesting book because it's talking about the history of the toilet in Europe, right? Yeah. So it's actually saying, uh, what happens and what are the stages in which it develops, right? And that's across a lot of periods, right? Yeah. So the idea is uh, the date, yeah, you might say this is a date and you can check and verify on this date what happened, right? Now the period is a long period of time that is, uh, that's not good enough, a long stretch of time, right? Yeah. Wherein a lot of things happen, right? Events happen, right? And the effects of events also are seen, and those people also react to those events, right? So there are a lot of dynamics when we're talking about a period. When we're talking about a date, yeah, we're talking about the fact of this date. This act was passed on this date, right? That's true, okay? And of course, that's uh, how we look at history, right? Yeah? But when you look at what happens in history, and that's something uh, that as literature students, you might like to look at. Right? Yeah? So when you have uh, the American Revolution, for instance, right? 
Adam Smith is writing his Wealth of Nations that the earth gets published. Okay, you have Wollstonecraft about the same time, one or two years here and there, right? Who's writing the vindication of the rights of women, right? So, what? How do you look at that period, right? So, when you look at the period, you have to take different things and a lot of contradictory things together, right? Like when you are talking about this period that we are encountering in India. At one level you have the brutalization and the killing of all the Muslims, right? And the other level you have the consolidation of uh, the so-called idea of uh, the Hindu, right? Which is, which of course many people uh, have a problem with, right? Because they would think that, well, uh, this is not what we are actually saying, right? And this is not what we are, right? This militant Hinduism is like uh, ISIS or, or, or this kind of... Uh, what do they call them? Islamists, right? Yeah, it's just like the Islamists or the fanatical Christians or the fanatical Marxists who go and die and kill for what they believe, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. So the idea of the period, right? So you have a period where you get a lot of contradictions, right? Some things go unnoticed, some things are noticed in a huge and different way, right? So all those kind of things happen when we talk about periods, yeah? Uh, there are uh, retrospective conceptions that we form about past events, useful to focus discussions, but very often leading historically, a historical thought astray, right? Now, the question is, when we talk about a period, we are talking about a long period of time, right? And when we talk about, this is what happened in this period, right? And we look at only the events, that's one perspective that we get, which is perhaps historical in some ways, yeah, but it also leads away from the idea of history in other ways, right? Now, what is the idea of history? I don't know, right? Yeah, but I can't really put it down, right? But the idea is that this is what he said, yeah? That's why there's certain, certainly useful to speak of the Middle Ages and the Victorian age. Those two abstract ideas have deluded many scholars and millions of newspaper readers into supposing that duration during certain centuries, called the Middle Ages, and again during certain decades, called the Age of Victoria, everyone thought and acted more or less in the same way. Till uh, at last Victoria died or the Middle Ages came to an end. But in fact, there was no such sameness. Individual character varies and an urge to change were marked features of the English over whom Victoria presided. And in the end of her reign was very different from the beginning. So two medieval society can only be studied fruitfully if we conceive it not as a static order but as a continuous evolution uh, without any definable date for its beginning or end. Right? Now, one of the things, and that's important to get an idea of what is an age, yeah? Because we are talking about writers as literature students, we are talking about language and writers, right? But we are also talking about what happens in drama, right? What happens in poetry, what happens in music, right? What historical events take place in other parts of the world, right? Yeah? So, when we are talking about all this, what is happening in Latin America, right? 
Now that's something that maybe even Trevelyan is not aware of and is not conscious of, right? Yeah, but when you study Latin American studies, right, or you study Latin American history, you'll find that, well, when they're talking about all these kinds of things, you have a university, right? You talk about the universities of Europe and you date them back to the 10th century, right? About the same time, the universities are being formed in a col colony in Latin America, in many colonies in Latin America, right? Uh, one of the old universities that they have are as old as the European universities, right? Uh, that's uh, Bologna's oldest in Italy, right? But uh, in Lima, you have a very, very old university, which is comparable, and that goes back to the Middle Ages, right? So the idea is, yeah, and I need to talk about this a bit, I hope people get this idea, right? When we're talking about history, right? We're talking also about taking things that are very far and distant, like Latin America and Europe, and England as part of Europe, right? Yeah, so we're taking two very, very distant places in time and space, and we're studying them together, right? Yeah, in space, Latin America is far away, right? But what happens in Latin America at that point of time, and what happens in Europe at that point of time, right? These are some things that are interesting to look at, right? Yeah, and maybe there's no correspondence, or maybe you find that one is more liberal than the other, or one is more conservative than the other, or something like that, right? Yeah, like for instance, you might look at a time where, uh, which is a little after this, where we're talking about a man called John Tan, right? In fact, somebody is uh, maybe wrongly kind of put him and Tukaram together, right? Tukaram is a book, uh, poet or a Kavi, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Kavi Sant Kavi, right? Okay, or that kind of thing, right? So, can you say, and they're trying to, they've actually tried to prove that Dan and Tokaram are about the same, right? Yeah, which, of course, historically is a problem, right? And if you look at a social history, that's still a problem, right? Because, first of all, Tokaram is this uh, kind of a, a rebel in some ways, right? And he's not one of the upper caste people. Right? Yeah, in fact, the uh, the book, uh, the translated book on Tukaram's poetry that I got, not Dilip Chitri, but uh, an earlier one by a European, right, is actually saying that Tukaram belongs to the Sudra community, right? Now, the idea is, at that point of time, anybody who is not a Brahmin is a Sudra, right? Yeah, so that's the understanding that we have, and this is an early English translation, right? Yeah, so. Is this okay to do all these kind of things, right? Can you compare Tukaram and, uh, and John Dunn, right? And of course, the idea is, does Tukaram have access to all the thinking that there was, right? Or has it come out of a local kind of language, right? Now that's something that is problematic, right? Because Dunn is this person who's educated. He's trained in speaking. He is a preacher, he is doing all those kind of things, right? He's a legal kind of profession, he's a very elite kind of person, right? And we talk about Tukaram, who is of peasant descent, right? Who is a, uh, almost like a lower caste person, right? Yeah? And he becomes uh, this uh, wonderful kind of poet who is 
what you call uh, this is a, a form of bhakti and we talk about it as uh, uh, talk about him as a kavi right yeah so you might wonder can i do this right now the question is these are questions that are asked when we talking about the historical perspective right yeah but it's also important to know that this is happening there and this is happening here right yeah okay so so when we have all these things happening in europe we have sivaji right o over here in india right and what is he doing what is he trying to set up how his state formation is taking place right yeah that's the uh, 17th century etc right yeah go ahead so uh, yeah so it's not about this is the this is when the age comes to an end right now these are artificial divisions i think in the early lectures we talked about that we are talking about an artificial di difference of history right there we are we are actually getting this boundary and saying well this is a victorian age right yeah and this is how people think right now people are still thinking and acting in the same way that they acted during the victorian period right yeah in england right of course now with globalization and brexit and all those kind of things england looks like a different kettle of fish right but uh till the 90s till the even yeah so till the end of the last century right if you want to use historical terms for it right you'll find that the mentality of the english was very much like the victorians right because it takes a long time to get rid of a certain kind of mentality right yeah uh and society doesn't change so fast right you can think of the babu nature of india right babu is uh, what we call a clerk right yeah and the whole idea of babudam is supposed to be something that we get from the british right and we can't get rid of it yeah we can see what the universities have become right instead of academic institutions they become institutions of babudam right so bureaucratic systems are more important than academic systems right and that's something that we look at in india right so the idea is uh, how is the rule of law going to be implemented right what kind of changes can we get those are things that are important right so at one level if you say this is the age of indira gandhi till 1984 right now what happens with the state and with the people right that might be a good marker to say that this is what happened okay and this is how india was reconstituted right how people came together right how the majority in government was formed right all those kind of things you might like to talk about right and you might talk about the rise of hindutva which began in uh, with uh, indira gandhi going to the temples and the chandra swami and all this kind of government that he uh, used to consult etc which many people are very unhappy about right yeah so that's uh, one of the uh, the kind of positions that you might take and you can see how it has changed after indira gandhi and uh, how actually things change even further after you have coalition governments and you have a different kind of focus and emphasis on uh, the idea of the state right yeah so you get these kind of positions right and you can't say 
then these things have ended, right? A lot of things still continue, right? Uh, uh, maybe not as policy, right? But as practice, right? Because some things are being fought for, right? Yeah, and some things uh, are remembered and fought for, and that kind of dynamic is something that is very important, right? So the idea is, uh, going back to yesterday's question about the individual and the state, I think Bhavya, you had asked it, right? Yeah, so what is interesting is, we're talking about individuals and the, the comfort or the discomfort that people have, right? So when we talk about a comfortable world, right? For some people, the state of things today in India is very comfortable, right? For many people who think it's not, right? Because if you think about yourself, it's not, it might be comfortable for most of us who are what you call so-called middle class people, right? But if you are a Muslim or you are a Dalit, right? Or you are a woman even, right? Then India is not really comfortable for everybody, right? Yeah, because, and of course, if you are thinking, right? If you fall in line with the, with the path that be, right? And you say, well, the government is doing the right thing because it's the government, right? That means you are not, uh, you're, if you're not a thinking person, you'll be happy, you, you won't be unhappy anywhere, right? All you have to do is don't think, okay? Don't have any position, so you can be kicked, you can be slapped, you can, anything can happen to you, and you don't care at all, right? Yeah? But the idea is, if you're a thinking person, then you have an issue with the system, right? Whatever happens to the system, you have an issue with it, right? So that's something that is important, yeah? And when you're talking about the idea of an age, you say that this is when the middle age ends and this is when you have the romantic age, right? Now that's uh, what I'm going to talk about because when we're talking about the idea of the renaissance, right, it's kind of confused, right? Because at one level you have the ideas of uh, a lot of nice secular ideas and I'm deliberately using the word secular because the renaissance gets in this idea of the Greek gods and goddesses which nobody worships in Europe at that point of time and nobody worships even now, right? Yeah, so we're talking about the idea of the mythology of and that's where India is so different from Europe because the mythological gods and goddesses, the mythology which is alive in India has got deities and all those kind of things and what is different from Europe is that the Greek gods and goddesses, the Roman gods and goddesses are already over, right? Yeah, so when they're taking it up, the whole idea of the religious and the secular, the religious means Christianity, right? Yeah, and of course Judaism, right? Islam, they finish it off, right? In spite of it being there for 800 years, you have a Moorish empire in Spain for 800 years, right? And that's from uh, the 12th century or so, you have uh, people going to Salamanca, right, to study Islam. All the young people go to study Islam, right? Because this is a new religion and some of the other, the idea of the newness, the difference, all those kind of things uh, become very interesting for them, right? Yeah, so, uh, and that that's what we talked about, right? And uh, also, because of the uh, blockage of the passage to India with the Turks, right, the idea of the sea route to India had to be found, right? And you had 
uh, that's how Vasco da Gama, and this is the period when we have people like Vasco da Gama coming to India, right? Yeah, so that's important, right? And you have Columbus going to the Americas, right? So I'm not going only by the way Trevelyan is going, but I'm saying that look, look at the world, what's happening, right? Colonization is beginning at this point of time, right? You're looking at colonizing uh, Asia, you're looking at colonizing the United States, right? You're, you're actually changing, okay? And of course, this is much, much more heightened when, by the time we come to uh, Elizabeth and uh, the, Shakespeare, uh, the Shakespearean age, right? Yeah. So we go on in that, right? So uh, what is, so too medieval society can only be studied. Yeah. The most important point, and this is a point that Hortonson Edwards are making when they talk about, uh, I think it's Horton and Edwards, oh I'm sorry, I might be wrong over there because I uh, I don't remember who has actually made this point. Yeah, But when we talk about the Renaissance age, uh, you don't know where the ideas are coming from because you also have something else that happens in Europe which is uh, what is called the Reformation, right? Of course, uh, yeah, so we are talking about the Reformation that is little before Henry VIII uh, or around the time Henry VIII is in power, that 1509 onwards, right? Yeah. So, uh, sorry. Yeah, so uh, that's, yeah, 1485 is Henry VIII, right? And 1509 is dissolution of the monasteries, 1536 to 9 is Edward VI, then you have Mary, then you have Elizabeth, right? Yeah, and all those kind of things, right? And uh, that's the end. After Elizabeth, the Tudor England gets over, and you have the Stuart England coming in, right? Yeah, and this, the whole idea of the Tudors and the Stuarts and all those kind of things are family houses, which I showed you on the map, right? Uh, and we can look at it again, right? The habit of thinking about the past as divided into watertight periods is most dangerous of all in economics and social history, for periods have usually been a source assorted, as their names imply, for purely political reasons. The age of the Tudors, the age of Louis XIV and so forth, but economic and social life takes little heed of the death of kings or the ascension of new dynasties, absorbed to its own daily task it flows on. Like an underground river, only occasionally making eruptions onto the upper daylight of politics, uh, though it may all, uh, it may all the time be the acknowledged and unconscious arbiter, right? Yeah. Now, what happens if a king dies or a king doesn't die? How do the common people bother about it? Or the prime minister, or the president, right? How much are they going to be bothered, right? Of course, if it's a very very bad king or a very bad president or a prime minister, there will be crackers and celebrations when somebody dies. Right? I think that's happened again and again all over the world. Right? It's not uh, a case only in England. Right? But that's one of the things that is important to remember. Right? But of course, the policies live on even after the person is dead. Right? So that's some of the thing that might be remembered. Right? And especially when you have a so-called strong leader or a strong ruler. Right? They actually trying to uh, get this idea of insert, uh, asserting their kind of 
uh, notions of the world or the country onto the people, right? Yeah. So that's something that becomes uh, rather problematic because the question is, do the common people, if it's a proper ruler, ruler, yes, right? Yeah. And of course, in England, you saw this when you have this woman called Diana who died, right? And when she died, yeah, the monarchy was actually shocked that the people uh, really had some kind of affection for this woman called Princess Diana, right? Yeah, so you get this outpouring of grief. Of, of course, what is interesting and very, very historical, right? That's the first time in history you have so many people all over the world watching a funeral, right? Yeah, a very, very historical moment, right? And I think comparable to that is the death of Indira Gandhi. Uh, we didn't have a lot of, uh, uh, what is called, uh, this idea of multiple channels and all that. That didn't happen then, right? That happens uh, when we have the Babri Masjid, which is destroyed. And uh, when we have, uh, so that's a little later, or much later actually. She dies in 84, 92, uh, we have uh, the, the idea of multiple channels and different channels broadcasting uh, is something that we have then, right? You have the BBC, you have the Star News, you have all the world channels, you have Pakistani television, Bangladeshi television, all those kind of things happen only after 90, uh, in the 90s, right? Yep. And the color television comes in, right? So when Diana dies, it becomes a very important thing. That's 97, right? But Indira Gandhi also, a lot of people watch the funeral of Indira Gandhi on uh, on Durtash, right? Yeah, because that's all that we have at that point of time. Not really uh, branched up into all these uh, number of channels, right? Because then you would have get got a lot of variety of insight from other people who are not uh, of Indian origin. Yeah, so that's something that happens, right? So the idea is uh, today with media you can control people, okay? The input that you have, right? That is, that's how governments are voted to power, whether you take India or you take Trump, right? Yeah, you get media and you make them think in certain limited ways, right? But if people don't put on your channel, right, and think differently, or think against your channel, then that's a different kind of uh, reaction, right? Yeah. So uh, the point that he's making is that society and economics work in different ways, right? And we're also going to this kind of uh, very interesting lot of people called the Anal School, which are French historians, which Trevelyan is definitely not talking about or not yeah, perhaps he's implying them, right? But he doesn't, I don't know how much he knows about them, right? Yeah, or if they were really information at that point of time and they're making statements, right? Yeah, but the Anal School is interesting because when they talk about history, they don't have this mega histories of a hundred years, right? I think I mentioned already when demonetization happened, a historian said, well, I can't talk about it as a historian, you'll have to wait for 100 years and see what the effects 
of demonetization are on people, right? And that that time we certainly will be dead, right? Unless we've got some super way of living, right? Yeah. So, and of course, uh, some of you might be alive, but definitely uh, people like us or our generation will not be alive, right? So uh, that's one. But what is also important is when we're talking about history and from the French kind of point of view, they do some very interesting things in history, right? They'll talk about one village, right? And only one family in that village. And they're talking about them through different periods and you're giving a different idea of history, right? Yeah, so you might like to read uh, studies, French studies in history, right? And uh, you get uh, not very expensive at all, right? Uh, it's uh, Arman and Mukia, right? And these are two people who are, one of them I think is from, uh, in, of Indian origin, right? Yeah, so uh, if you want, you can also get it from me. Uh, Xerox, of course, because I can't give the books out, right? I don't know whether I'll get them again, right? Yeah, so we're talking about how do you look at history from a different perspective, right? So when I look at a social history and I look at an economic history, which is something that you might get today, right? So it's talking about what happened with the economic pol policy, what happened in the life of people, right? Now, in England, this becomes important, especially when you have a ruler who's against the social life of England, somebody like Cromwell, right? And that actually makes a big dent, right? Actually makes the idea of saying that, well, this is what we are as, in, as English, right? That is what we are because without the theatre, which is an institution which we have, without the pub, which is an institution that we have, right, what is England, right? So that's a very serious kind of self-definitive moment that the local people have, right? And that only the historians can theorize after a lot of time, right? But the local people will say, what the hell is this, right? If you ban, ban beef, pork, and uh, liquor in a place like Goa, right? Nobody will say that it's Goa, right? Yeah, if you ban any of these things, then is it Goa at all, right? Yeah, uh, so, so that's something that you might like to consider when we're talking about social histories and we're talking about the rules of kings and queens, right? Yeah, and of course, uh, like uh, this discussion this morning, uh, religion should be banned in India, right? Yeah, so if you have that kind of understanding, right? Yeah. Uh, either for, again, or for it or against it, right? And you begin to wonder what happens if this thing called religion, you get a government like, uh, say, Kemal Pasha's government, right? Which bans a lot of religion and that's what people are making hay over here about Kemal Pasha and talking about it as a great liberator. But he's not a great liberator because he kills a lot of Armenians, right? Yeah? And Hitler uses it to justify the genocide of six million Jews, right? Yeah. So that is the other side of it, right? So, and it's not about him. It's what happens to the common people, right? Yeah. So the question is, when you talk about the British in India, you'll you'll find people uh, carrying this new thing called bread from Calcutta to the south, right? Yeah. They pack bread and they carry it on trains 
local people, right? Yeah. So that's something else that you might like, right? Or you might like to think of, right? The whole idea of Olsen butter, right? Yeah, Amul and all that is after a different period of time. That is when you have uh, Nehru and this idea of uh, Kurian, who is the called the milkman of India, right? Now that's the white revolution and the green revolution, right? These are two Nehruvian things which you cannot eliminate, right? You can't, you might want to eliminate Nehru and say that, well, uh, what was the use of him, right? Yeah, and his policies. But this is a policy that affects people, right? Yeah, because you get your butter, you get your milk and all those kind of things and you get some kind of systematization of vegetables, right? And you've got the green revolution which actually changes the idea of poverty, right? Or the idea of food, right? Yeah, so these are things that affect people socially, right? So at one level, it's not true to say that the monarch doesn't matter, right? I may not care for the king or who the prime minister is in Asia. I might say, well, that, that person is a, is a piece of shit, right? Which many people do all over the world, right? Like uh, you have Shelley talking about a mad king, right? Yeah. So we have mad kings, we have mad prime ministers, and uh, do the people care about them? Right? Yeah. Who cares about that? Right? The king or the the prime minister might think that he's a cock of the walk, right? And go around saying how strong I am, how much of money I have, what beautiful clothes I have, and go strutting around with my clothes as if I'm the greatest person in the in the world, right? Yeah. And of course, maybe they admire and will say, well, you're looking very handsome and all those kind of things, right? Yeah. So that that's something that might be great and glorious about uh, the idea of kingship, okay, and that's only one little part, right, and of course the idea that the king costs money is something that is present, right, today, we are asking all these questions, right, and because we are in a post-capitalist age, right, these are questions that we ask, right, and the question is how much money was used by the king, right, how much of the tax money was used by the king, because tax is something that most people feel today, right? Yeah. So we are actually talking about one which Trevelyan is not really talking about directly, the idea of consciousness about uh, um, social life and about economic life, right? And unless we're hit by all these things, we don't really think about it, right? Now people are actually hit because of the, uh, the whole uh, question of demonetization and uh, uh, what's it called? The GST business, right? Yeah. So that's actually hit people at the very roots of their existence, right? So that's why it becomes important, right? Yeah. You might like it, you might not like it, you might have use for it or not, but the fact remains that it's a material kind of hit that people have taken, right? Yeah. Now, how do you get out of it? All those kinds of issues are very important, and that's what the sociologists are going to look at, right? Yeah. So when we're talking about a social history, the question is what happens to us in this age of depression, right? Not psychological, but it's called economic, uh, an economic depression, and the economic depression lasts for at least ten years, right? Yeah, and that's exactly what I told the man who collects my paper, right? Uh, one during the lockdown, he comes and he says, "Well, I don't have money. Give me some money." So I gave him some money, right? Then he comes back, he says, I'll return your money, but 
I want some more money from you. I said, for what? Right? Uh, uh, he says, no. Everything will be okay. The lockdown will be over. I'll come back to uh, my status. Right? And I want to marry my son off. I said, please, don't do this. Because when you're talking about, lock we're talking about economic cycles, right? It takes at least 10 years, especially in the, the rotten state we are in today, right? It takes at least 10 years to get the economic uh, system back in shape, right? Yeah. And because I said that, there are a lot of people who call me uh, terrible, right? And they, they think that I'm supporting all the, the government and the lockdown and all those things, which I'm not, right? Yeah. Because, yeah. So that's... That's as terrible as it is, right? So the, the condition is not going to change, yeah? And we as middle class people may not be affected, right? We're only slightly affected if our jobs have gone, right? If our, uh, or our businesses have suffered, right? Yeah, businessmen, middle class businessmen, small businessmen are suffering, right? So the question is, a historian, okay? And that's something that maybe many of you can do because uh, it's not about writing a history, but you can write your own account of uh, what has happened in the lockdown, right? And I think the some sites are waking, right? You can write a short story about it, right? You can write different kinds of accounts because this is something that is important for all of us, right? And it's a it's a period when hundred years later, right? Uh, that's in uh, yeah, in, in twenty one. 20, right? 2120, they'll talk about the lockdown from a perspective that only they can have, right? So when we're talking about history, we're talking about perspective, right? So when we're talking about period, we're talking about this is what were the basic trends of the period in Victoria's England, in Elizabeth's England, right? And you might get very contradictory opinions, right? Like for instance, you get this idea of Queen Elizabeth and people say that, well, uh, she was more kind than her sister Bloody Mary, right? And the drink Bloody Mary comes from uh, uh, Mary Stuart, right? Who is uh, the, the elder sister of, elder half-sister of Elizabeth I, right? Yeah. So you actually get this idea of saying, well, this is what Elizabeth did, this is what Mary did. Right? The Catholics were killed in uh, mass numbers during Elizabeth's reign and uh, in uh, Mary's reign, the Protestants were killed also. And of course, Elizabeth comes after Mary, right? And that's why it's different, right? Uh, the Maybe people are already tired of the killings, right? And uh, a lot of people also have taken protection, right? So that that's why... Uh, they are not uh, killed in such numbers, right? So you say, well, you have a more kind of mild uh, Elizabeth is better than men, right? Because she's less blood, right? So you might want to say all those things and then of course you have big massacres, etc. Right? Or you talk about this man called Thomas More, right? And he is glorified and he made into a saint and all those kind of things, right? But he's also the Chancellor of Henry VIII, right? I'm sorry I'm taking you right to the Tudor period, the, the end of it, right? Yeah. 
uh, tell me how much time I have, right? I, yeah, I have about 15 minutes more, right? By my watch, right? Yeah, and any questions that you have about the idea period, right? Yeah, so the idea is how do periods work? It's got the name of the king, it's got the name of the queen, right? It's uh, a political period in some ways. And what is interesting is over here it's talking about Chaucer and Sax uh, and uh, Caxton, right? And Chaucer the poet, Caxton is a uh, one of the, the people who is remembered for the printing machine in England, right? And then we are talking about what you call the Tudor period, right? It's as if there was no period before, right? Yeah, it was no period like this. And the idea of the state, which was already existing, is probably consolidated in this period, right? Uh, yeah. If then we are asked to name a date or even a period when the Middle Ages came to an end, what can we safely say? Certainly not 1485, the year when Tudor rule began, though it has been found by teachers and examiners a convenient point at which to wind up the Middle Ages, right, in England. But in the real year 1485, when our simple ancestors gaped and rub the elbows at the news that Henry Tudor and his best Welshman had overthrown Richard III at Bosworth, right? Uh, that is uh, which Henry Tudor, yeah? Uh, uh, that they had no thought that a new era was beginning. They supposed merely that the Lancastrians had again got the better for the time of the Yorkshires. Yorkist, yeah, and in the end, in the endless and tiresome war of the roses, it was true that the events of the next twenty years showed that in fact the war of the roses had almost, but not quite, ended on Bosworth Field. But the end of the war of the roses is by no means the same thing as the end of the Middle Ages, in whatever way the Middle Ages were defined. Right now, the idea is we're talking about two social systems that exist together, right? One is, we're talking about the troublesome period in England and we have the Lancaster, the House of Lancaster and the House of Yorks, or the Yorkists and the Lancasterians who are fighting each other, right? And one of them becomes the king and this is, uh, yeah, so the Duke of York and the Duke of Lancaster and all those kind of people and one of them becomes the king, right? So there's the idea of the kingship and the throne, right? And uh, when you defeat uh, Richard III, that's Henry V, if I'm not wrong, right? Yeah. Uh, and what happens? And that's the Henry V. Yeah, I think it's Henry V. Or is it Henry IV? I'm sorry, I'll, I'll come to that when it has become. Uh, yeah, right? Yeah, so when that happens, the idea is the common people don't even care, right? The death of Indira Gandhi or the death of Modi won't be a, a problem to the common people. Right? Not in a village. Some, day, some people even think today Indira Gandhi is alive. Right? Yeah. Some people think that still Nehru is alive we, we, given the uneducation of India. Right? Yeah. So you have all those kind of things. And we are talking about the social life of a person. Right? So it doesn't mean anything to a very common person. Right? That the king is dead. Right? For all the people who are in power. And of course we are talking about 
a different kind of a country, a very, very small country, right? And even there, the question of the common person and the very, very common, the very poor person and the king, right? Perhaps they don't even care, right? Because life has to go on. I to feed my children, I to look after my clothes, I to eat my food, right? And those are more important concerns than the question of the king dying, right? Of course, they'll put up banners and there'll be people marching and somebody will ask, how, what's going on here? Oh, the prime minister is there, the king is dead. Uh, okay, right? Yeah, and then they'll say, well, of course, if it's India, people might go and have, go to the movie theatre and that's why they, I remember this when I was in school, Fakhruddin Ali Ahmed died and my school said, no, we don't want to have holidays, right? And then, of course, the government forced all the schools to close down, right? Which is not a good idea because our principal said, well, uh, when somebody dies, okay, the students go and have a good time going to uh, movie theatres, right, and watching movies, right, yeah, so we don't want a holiday, right, yeah, so that's what they did, right, now otherwise, uh, the death of somebody, right, when you read, for instance, uh, Pepys's diary, right, and he's talking about the restoration, right, he actually says this in so many words. He says the restoration of Charles II, the coronation of Charles II, which is actually the restoration, right, is something which he marks as the grandest day in his life, right. He's never seen such grandeur as far as pomp and splendor are concerned. The restoration is a huge kind of uh, ritual which is very uh, interesting to see, right. And you see so many people com coming up you see such fanfare, right, and maybe food, etc., right? Yeah, the ugly part of it is you have the uh, exhuming of the body of Cromwell, who's already dead, and of course, uh, we must know that England and France and all these places were full of mosquitoes, and poor Cromwell died of malaria, right? Now, you uh, try to get uh, an anti-malarial drug, like one of my aunts, uh, she got sick in England, right, and uh, everybody was running around, she was taken to hospital, and then they came to know that she had got malaria, and they didn't have any drugs to treat her, because malaria has already been eradicated, right, yeah, and in India we're still suffering with malaria, right, uh, the same thing happens when you talk about the palace at Versailles, that's the fr famous French king's court, right, yeah, uh, yeah, Henry XIV, right, yeah, so uh, what happens over there is we're actually talking about uh, this huge kind of neoclassical structure which I think is still there, right? And you can go and look at it and see it, right? And what is interesting is uh, that's a place where it's full of mosquitoes, right? Because there's a swamp and on swamp land he brings, uh, builds up this new kind of palace, right? So all these things are important, yeah? And of course, when he dies, would the people bother about him? I don't know, right? Yeah. Uh, life goes on, and that's what Trevelyan is trying to say. Yeah. They supposedly, uh, they suppose merely that the Lancastrians had again got the better for the time and the Yorkist in, uh, in the endlessness of tiresome wars of the roses. It is true that the events of the next 20 years showed that the fact in fact, the Wars of the Roses had almost, but not quite, ended. Uh, 
uh, on back Bosworth Field, but the end of the War of the Roses is by no means the same thing at the end of the Middle Ages in whatever way the Middle Ages are defined, right? Like we're talking about the Third Battle of Paniput, right? And that's the end of the Maratha rule, that's the beginning of the British rule, all those kind of things, that's what we talk about here in India, right? Yeah. And uh, so many people say, well, if the Marathas had won, the history of India would have been different, right? And that's when we have all these controversies between Maharashtra and the center today, right? We go back to the Battle of Panipat, right? And say, well, well, the Marathas think that they still control, in, uh, they still have, have a right to control India, right? So you get that kind of discourse also happening, right? Yeah. So uh, that's, of course, trivial and is not even possible to go back in time, right? So we can't go back in time. But the war is fought and history changes. And history, that's a very decisive moment in the history of India because that actually means colonization. And at that point of time, nobody realizes that, right? It's just like any of the wars that you fought, right? You fought with, uh, like, Tipu Sultan fought with the British, okay? Uh, Shivaji fought with Afzal Khan or all the local leaders in Maharashtra. And there were hundreds of people fighting with each other. Nobody thought that this uh, uh, battle was going to be so clinching and the history of India would be changed uh, tremendously, right? And it's only after that that we talk about a colonial period, right? Yeah. So what happens might be looking very small and insignificant at that time. Yeah. Of course, demonetization, I don't think uh, people would call it insignificant. Maybe in a thousand years it might be insignificant, but the effects of it is already showing yeah, and it's not going to go away. The effect of it is not going to go away at least for another 15 years, right? Or maybe more, but people will still suffer from the repercussions and these are slow repercussions, right? You can't say that this, this is done and it doesn't have outfalls in economic disorder and confusion, right? Yeah. Uh, again, what we have in India, uh, this idea of commun communalizing India, which we've seen in the last six years, right? Now that's on the rise, right? And it hasn't made life better, right? So when you take small people's accounts of that, that's different from the ma mega narrative that uh, people are talking about as a center and people who are right-wingers uh, glorify, right? Yeah. What happens to a small person who is uh, selling uh, cups and saucers maybe or selling pots, making pots and selling them, right? How does that affect them, right? Yeah. So the whole idea of building a temple, does it even make a difference to a small person who is struggling for their life, right? For some people, there's a big kind of political thing, right? But uh, for actually, for the very, very small people, of course, there are people who will be shuddering because of all these things because it means that freedom is over, democracy is over, all this kind and a religious state is coming in, right? That's one lot of people, right? But when we're talking about the poor people who actually don't care a damn whether you have God or don't have God, right? Whether you have a prime minister or don't have a prime minister, whether you have a government or don't have a government, their life doesn't change, right? So when we're talking about a social history, we're talking about what happens to the lowest of the low in your kingdom and what happens to the highest of your high, right? Yeah, and what happens, so you might talk about Sari being put to death, you might talk about uh, 
Wyatt being put to death. You might talk about uh, Thomas More being put to death. All those things are very important events, right? Yeah, from particular angles in the in the time of Henry VIII, right? Yeah. So these are definitely important things, right? But what happened to the common people? 